Yes, 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 yes. Summer camp. Hey, did you have fun? At the end, what you saw there was a covenant. And what we did is we printed out posters for students to take home, and it was a covenant. And the top said, I vow uh, from this day forward, I vow to love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, for all my life. And uh, there was over 100 students that signed that covenant and made a declaration to the Lord. Yeah. The first night, the first night there, we saw uh, 11 students gave their life to Jesus. And... Uh, the second night was the night where I said we were on our knees at the altar, and it was just this heavy encounter. And then the third night, we just experienced something like a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we had, 20, we had 23 students, young people, speak or pray in tongues for the first time in their life. And uh, <laughs> miracles, healings, I mean, it was, it was incredible. We were super excited. We also had one incident where the last night we had to rush a student to the hospital, to the ER, um, and he just, he came down with a sickness, and he got back from camp and was actually misdiagnosed up in the mountains. And so he came back, had to go back to the ER, almost got rushed into surgery. He's there for a few more days. And, uh, and so he looked at his doctor, and, and he said, and this was earlier today, he looked at the doctor and he said, hey, do you think I could get out of here for like two hours to go to youth group? <laughs> and the doctor's like, no, there's no chance. Sorry, buddy. And so we brought, I think we've got the photo. Can we throw that up there? We've got a, a photo. Our youth leaders, our student leadership team went over to the hospital and we laid hands on him and, and prayed for him this afternoon. Um, because we believe that a, a family that prays together stays together, right guys? And so we just pray for each other. That's what family does. And, uh, and so he, he's such a deep thinker. He was trying to problem solve. He's like, there's got to be a way that I can be at youth group tonight. And, and the doctor's like, you're not, you'll be lucky if you get to go home tomorrow. And he's like, well, what can we do, what can we do? And he's like, what if we live stream it? And so can we all like, I don't know, where's the, are we getting it? Can we just wave, say hi, Isaiah? Hi, Isaiah, we love you, we're praying for you. I don't know where you're at in here, but you're somewhere. We're live streaming it so he and his mom can watch it from their hospital room. And so, uh, we're just super excited about all that God's doing in, in youth group and in base camp and summer camp, man. It was amazing. Tonight, I, I want to talk about this idea of hide and seek. Hide and seek. And so if you're taking notes, I know the students are, adults, I hope you are too. You can title it, Hide and Seek. And I want to talk about this idea of seeking the Lord. I, I realized recently that one of my favorite games that I miss from my childhood is hide and seek. And uh, I don't, I never loved hiding because you've got this like nervous anxiety as you're waiting because you don't know like, are they going to find you? Are they not? But what I love, probably because I'm hyper competitive, is I loved being the, the seeker. I loved going after people and finding them. And I felt like there was no hiding space that I couldn't find. But I remember this one time. There, we were playing hide-and-seek, and we were in the basement, and it was hide-and-go-seek in the dark because, I don't know, it's just better that way. And uh, I remember there was one person left to find, and I was looking through every, I mean, and we set rules, real clear rules, like you cannot leave the house, you cannot go upstairs because mom and dad are sleeping, you cannot do this, you cannot do that. And I looked through everywhere, and everyone's found and sitting on the couch, but there's this one guy, and I'm like, where is he? 
And I remember we were, there was this closet underneath the stairs that he had hidden in. And I was like, are you kidding me? You picked the one spot where I, I didn't look and I was just like, oh my goodness. But, but as I was thinking about hide and seek, and I was reading through the Bible, I was actually reading through Luke, I think it's 18. And there's this story of a persistent widow. And uh, let me see, is it Luke 18? Boss? Yeah, Luke 18, verse 1. Thanks, you could have said that earlier. Luke 18. Jesus tells this story, and I don't even think I'm going to read it, but, but Jesus tells this story about this widow. Let's just read it. Luke 18. Jesus is a better storyteller than I am. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain time there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And it reminds me a lot of our culture today. People that, they don't fear God nor care what people think. Verse 3, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. She must have been a crazy, yeah, like, whoa. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And he leaves us with this question that just, it drives me crazy. Jesus leaves us with this question like, when the Son of Man returns, will he find such faith here on earth? He's not talking about, hey, will I find churches full of people? He doesn't even say, will I find people who serve the community and do good things? He says, will I find such faith that will cry out to me day and night, that will seek me over all else? That's what Jesus asks. And so tonight we're going to talk about hide and seek. Hide and seek. Point number one, God is looking for a people that seeks him. God is looking for a people that seeks him. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I don't know why that, I, I mean, we can finish the verse. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Okay, maybe disregard that part. Well, don't disregard it, because it's the Bible, it's important. But, but we're going to focus on the first part. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. Another translation says, for the eyes of the Lord search to and fro. God's literally looking to and fro throughout the earth to find people that will seek him. That will find people who will seek him. There's nothing greater than being sought after. Nothing greater than being pursued. And I love this idea because God is literally like, this is what I want. I want a people who will seek me. I want a people who will say, look, day and night, early in the morning, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to seek the Lord. You know, David was called a man after God's own heart. And I think almost all of that is because he sought God. 
You know, by seeking God, David made himself a man after God's own heart. Because God is a God who seeks. Our God is a God who seeks. We're jumping ahead. I'm going from here to there. But can we throw up that point? It's out of order. Let's just go straight into that. Point number four. God seeks. We're going out of order, so disregard the numbers. God seeks and delights in his people doing the same. David was a man after God's own heart because he sought him with everything within him. Our God is a God who seeks us with everything within him. In Luke 15, just write this down. You ought to go home and read these three stories. But God tells stories. Jesus tells parables of a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. And he uses these parables or stories to show us the heart of our father. In these stories, there's 10, there's 90, there's 100 sheep. Only one of them goes missing. And the owner leaves the 99 to go after the one. And Jesus says, just like that owner, that is my heart posture. I will leave everything else that the world would think is important to go after the one that's lost. Jesus actually had this, this quote. It's in Luke 19, verse 10. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Our God is a, a, a seeking God. Our God seeks after us. And he's looking for a people that will do the same. And I think that's why we're seeing such great things in youth. You know, God loves good ideas. He loves good trips. He loves good camps, good projects. He loves all that. But what he loves more than it all is a people that seek him. God's heart responds to people who will seek him. It responds. It invokes something in him that says, oh my gosh, they're seeking me. They're, desperately, they're desperate for me. I want them. And I'll do anything to go after them. Our next point for the guys in the back is is um, number three, that God delights in diligence. God delights in diligence. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. In the King James Version, it says, those who diligently seek him. Those who diligently seek him. Jesus is looking for people who will seek him diligently. Persistently, diligently, with all of their hearts, for all of eternity. That's what God's looking for. That's what moves the heart of God. Those who will seek him and seek him diligently. And, and, you know, I think we get caught up in thinking that going to church is enough or coming here on a Wednesday night, students, is enough. And God's saying, it's good, but it's not enough. It's good, but there's more. That's why we experienced him at summer camp so heavily. It's because for three and a half days, we sought him and we sought him diligently. Adults, there were students, every morning I, I get up and I spend time with the Lord. It's my own conviction. And, because David had this cry where he said, in the morning, Lord, I cry out to you. In the morning, I'll lay my request before you, and I will wait in expectation. 
And so every morning I try to lay out requests before the Lord so that I have expectation throughout the day that God will move. And so in the mornings at summer camp, I get up and I, I would make our little service center, the opera house, I would make it a prayer room. And it would just be open and you could come in and spend time with the Lord. And I'm telling you, there were 25 or 30 students every morning on their own, not led by a leader or an adult, just on their own with their Bibles, spending time with Jesus. They don't have to. They're not required to. We don't force it on them. We don't even ask them to. Honestly, we don't even tell them we're going to do it. But they're so stirred by the Lord that they say, yeah, service is good. Hearing a good message is good, but I could get that online. Good worship's good, but that's on Spotify or iTunes. What I need is my own time with the Lord. What I need is my own time with the Lord. And in Exodus 33, Moses has this revelation. Exodus 33, verse 7, and it's actually 7 through 11. He said, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Did not leave the tent. Moses had set up this place that was his own place to encounter the Lord. It was his own place where he knew the spirit of the Lord dwelt. And he knew when I walk in here, I can encounter you. When I walk into this tent, not only do I know I'll encounter you, but everyone around me knows in this place I encounter the Lord. It says the people stood. They rose and stood. And they knew. They knew that in that tent, Moses would meet with the Lord. And in our lives, we need to pitch our own tents. We need to pitch tents. You ought to have a place where you seek the Lord. I mean, you won't get around to seeking the Lord. You know, I was talking to Andrew about this earlier, Pastor Andrew. And I said, you know, what I'll do is, let's say I have something at, at 9 a.m., a meeting at 9 a.m. In this past season, probably the last three months, I had this weird thing where I did not want to spend time with the Lord. And I think maybe somebody else in this room could relate to that, not wanting to all the time. I had this season where I didn't want to spend time with the Lord, and I realized that I would, I would literally lay in my bed, let's say I had a meeting at 9, I would create things to fill my time so that it would be like 8.15, and I'd be like, oh, well, I got I to gotta shower, and I got to brush my teeth, and I got to eat breakfast, and then I'll go. And I just, I ran out of time, like, sorry, I guess I'll get around to it later. And it was literally one thing after another, like it was Twitter, and then it was Facebook, and then it was the NBA Finals, so it was ESPN. And, I mean, you name it, but we will find a way to fill our time so that we don't spend time with the Lord. Seeking God requires something of us. It requires something of us. There's a cost. 
There's a cost. For David, he said, I will not offer unto the Lord that which costs me nothing. And so what I did and what I've done is I've, I've made a, I have a closet that any lady, and I've shared this to some of you, that any lady would be jealous of. It, it's, a, it's a walk-in closet designed for, Tim knows what I'm talking about. Do you have the master? Yeah, you do. We live in the same apartment complex, so he can relate. This apartment complex, the master bedroom closet was designed for like a family of 12. And like, like you could literally, it's ridiculous. Like no human needs this much space. I, I mean, and like I'm not married. I don't get it with women. But I have a mother and like even she is jealous of my closet. It's ridiculous. Okay, so when I was moving in there. I, this thought came across my mind. I thought, I could actually rent out my closet. <laughs> it's that big. And I kid you not, I took the box spring of my twin bed at the time, and I put it in the closet just to see if it would fit. I mean, there's an outlet. The twin-size bed fits in there nicely. Um, and so I, I pulled the twin-size bed out, and I put in, I've got my dresser in there. I've got my clothes hang. I got all my shoes, because Lord knows I got about 27 pairs of shoes. Yeah, for summer camp, I brought four, and I wore them all. <laughs> so I put my dresser in there, my clothes, my shoes, and then I put a desk. I put a desk inside my closet. And I made a decision, and I, I've got this weird, the, the students call it bubblegum Jesus. I don't, right? Cotton candy, yeah, that's what it is. Cotton candy Jesus. Look, I've got this picture of Jesus. It's a painting. That Tim seed, that my grandma passed down to my mom, and my mom passed it down to me, and it means a lot to me. And it's like the most Americanized version of Jesus that you will ever see. I mean, like, brown hair, perfect skin. I mean, he would make tons of money as an actor or a model. And uh, I put that picture in my closet, and then I put this quote in there. And inside, on the quote it says, what's it say? I read it every morning, and I can't remember. If no one but God sees this, will it be enough? If nobody but God sees this, your time spent with the Lord, will it be enough? Would it be enough? Is spending time with God just to spend time with God enough for you? If the answer is no, I pray tonight that the Holy Spirit would just rise up within you. Not seeking God because you've got a message to preach or you've got someone to pray for or you want to see him heal you or you want to see him do something. We need to seek God for his heart, not for his hand. The hand of God says, I will heal this person. The hand of God says, I will move in this room. The heart of God says, I love you. Is that enough? Do we seek God for his heart or for his hand? That's the question tonight. David was a man after God's heart, not a man after God's hand. And I never want us as Christians to get confused and think that we need to seek God for this or for that or for anything. We seek God out of that. We seek God because he loves us, not to earn his love. What I love about Moses is that he created a space for God to inhabit. Point number five is, says, God calls us to build a tent and allow nothing inside except for ourself and him. 
God calls us to build a tent and allow nothing inside except for ourself and him. This is my illustration tonight. It's a tent, in case you didn't know. God calls us to build a tent. And look, I want to, before I say this, I want to say this. I'm not somebody who believes like you can only encounter God in a certain place at a certain time or anything like that. I am not about that. I don't believe that. But I full-heartedly believe in creating a space where you encounter the Lord. I do. I do. I, I, there's multiple places in my life where as soon as I walk in it, I get a feeling. A theme park is a great example of this. Anytime I walk into a theme park, Elitches, any of those things, raging fear comes inside of me. Because I hate roller coasters. I hate them. And I know that doesn't make me cool and like, you're embarrassed to call me your youth pastor now. But I'll take that on the chin and I'll move forward. I hate roller coasters. And every time I walk into an amusement park, fear and nerves just start raging inside of me. And I'm thinking, I don't care what, I don't care if I have to fake a sickness, if I have to fake an injury. I don't care if I have to call my mom. Like, I'm not getting on this roller coaster. No matter how much funnel cake you buy me. Come on, somebody. There's a certain feeling associated with a theme park for me. There's a certain feeling associated with a basketball game. There is nothing like going to a basketball game, a professional basketball game for me. I remember as a boy, I would literally bubble up going with my dad to Nuggets games. I mean, the whole day at school, the teacher's like, Zach, pay attention! Because I would just be like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. There's a basketball game and my dad's taking me and we're playing Steph Curry and the, and the Warriors. And quick side note, because we're talking about basketball. Yesterday, I spoke at the children's um, sports camp. There's a few hundred children doing a sports camp. Pastor Sylvia, huge shout out. You're amazing. And Jenny. We love you guys. And what you're doing at sports camp is beautiful because it's collaboration with a bunch of churches with different beliefs and backgrounds. But God's moving in that place. And, uh, and so I love it. But I was speaking to them and I was telling this story. And I used Michael Jordan as an example. And it made me want to burn myself. Because they had no idea who Michael Jordan is. They looked at me and they're like, I, I compared it. I was like, yeah, like if Michael Jordan walked into sports camp right now. And they're sitting there and they're just like, like looking around like, do you know who that is? And I, and I could feel it. You know how you can sometimes just feel what people are thinking? I was like, oh my God. They don't know who MJ is. But there was a feeling every time I went to a basketball game that something amazing was going to happen. It's because I went once and I had this experience and it was incredible. And, and so although I think you can find the Lord anywhere you, you seek him, there's something special about creating a place where he resides. Where he dwells. Where every time you walk into this place you think, oh my God, God, I've, I've built history with you right here in this tent. I've encountered you right here in this tent. I've seen you move and speak words into my heart right here in this tent. And so when I'm in a down season or I feel a little bit dry, I know I can walk right into this tent and I'm going to connect with God. I've seen him move there. I've felt him move there. I've prayed hard prayers there. I've cried in there. I've laughed in there. I've journaled in there. I've got a place. And so when I walk in there, 
I feel the spirit of the Lord inside that room. I feel it. And so I'm all about building a tent. And what I love about Moses is he went in here and he wouldn't come out. He zipped it up and he said, nope, you're not coming in. Sorry, Elijah, you're not coming in. Sorry, Caleb, you're not coming in. Sorry, Tim, you're not coming in. Sorry, Dad, you're not coming in. Sorry, Pastor JR, I know you're my boss, but, and I know you love the Lord. And I know you'd probably bring something special in here. But you're not coming in. And now I can't get out. And that's why we zip it up, because God wants to trap us in there. We have to build a tent and say, nothing's coming inside of this. My friends aren't coming in here. My family's not coming in here. This is a place for the Lord and myself. Nothing more. It's not a place for my depression. It's not a place for my anxiety. It's not a place for my fear. And in fact, none of those things can even live inside this tent. Because the spirit of the Lord is there. The spirit of the Lord is there. It is my escape from life. It's right here. Because we all know, Jesus even said, in this world you will face trials. We know they're coming. We have to have a tent where we can go in and dwell and sit and stay and soak and say nothing's coming in here. It's just my God and I. Because in that place, God will reveal himself to you in a personal way. Because Angel, he wants to know you in a way he doesn't want to know Brooke. And he doesn't want to know Brennan. And he doesn't want to know James. He wants to meet with you intentionally and individually. God wants you, the church is great because it's a place where we can collectively meet with the Lord. As a community, we can come to the church, we can worship God, we can encounter God, we can get a word from God, and we can go home. As a community. But the best things in life are set aside for you and God alone. You and God plus no one. I was in a season recently where I, I love speaking and preaching, and I, I used to hate speaking publicly because fear would just, I couldn't do it. I played hooky in public speaking in high school more than any class my entire life. And uh, I think my mom probably got in trouble. And I think I got in even more trouble. But it was the very first class I took, my very first semester of my very first year in high school. Because God loves to joke. And he's like, oh, you're going to do this. And I, I literally tried to pull every everything in the book to get out of public speaking, but it was a prereq, so I had to. And I hated it. And I came to this church, and I was just, I just wanted to be a leader, and Andrew's like, well, why don't you lead a small group? And I was like, okay, I'll lead a small group, because I'm talking to like six people. And that was my max. Even that was scary. I remember driving to small group, like praying in tongues, like praying that the Holy Spirit would save me. And then Andrew pulled this thing on me where one Sunday he goes, I'm going to Dallas this weekend, and, and this is what he said, and I feel like God wants you to speak. And I'm just like thinking of everything in the book, because he said, I feel like God wants you to speak, and I was like, there's no way he felt that. And so, but he put me so on the spot, like I was, it felt like I was backed into this corner, and at the time, he was sort of my boss, like it was, it just, it was this weird thing where I was like backing up, and I was like, I have nowhere to go, and I have nothing to say, and I was like, I said what any Christian would say, I said, I'll pray about it. <laughs> He's like, no, I, I feel like God said that you need to speak. And I was like, God, why would you say that? There's just no way. Like, you're kidding me. And I remember going up there 
and speaking. And I was, I was so nervous. I kid you not. I, we, were, we were in the gym doing a Sunday morning youth service. It's middle schoolers. And there was like 18 of them. Like it was not that bad or big of a deal. I went upstairs into the loft. And in the loft, there's this secret room that's like a closet. It's now Pastor Torrance's office. But it was just this closet. I went in there and was dry heaving. And I was just like, God, I can't do this. I was on my knees. I was, and then I walked down into the, into the gym, getting ready. I couldn't even have a conversation with anybody. I remember we had a, a pastor at the time, Nathan, and he was in the room. I couldn't even look at him. I was just in such fear. I was like, oh, my God, I, I, I can't, my thoughts, I can't, I don't. Uh, but. And so, but I grew to love it, and I learned that that's sort of what God's called me to do and gifted me to do. But in this past season from right around March or April of this year, I got so convicted by the Holy Spirit that I had fallen more in love with the gift than the giver. I had fallen more in love with the gift of preaching than the giver himself. And I realized that every time I spent time with the Lord, I wasn't seeking him for myself. I was seeking him for others. And I was, I was reading the Bible not to get my daily bread, but to get a word for youth group or for whatever. And so for, I took like two and a half months off of preaching because I felt so clearly that God, God wanted to impart or download something into me. And it was this idea. It was this idea that I want you to seek me diligently. I want you to seek me wholeheartedly. I want you to seek me above all else. I want you to seek me alone from everybody else. I, wanna, I want you to seek me with everything within you. I want you to seek me. And so tonight, I want the worship team to come back up. We're going to go back into one song of worship. And we got a, a little magic trick for you. We call him Sean Edwards. I just want to make him nervous. You guys have probably heard him play the saxophone before, but I don't know. Most of you haven't ever heard him sing. It's our little magic trick in the youth ministry. Kidding, there are no magic tricks. God tonight is asking, will you take a step? To seek something, if you look up the definition, it always requires action. It's not an idea, it's not a thought, it's a verb, it's, it's an action. I'm waiting for the keys. Tonight God's asking, what's it going to take? Will you trust me? Will you tr I, I think one of our issues with seeking the Lord is trust. We trust in ourselves over the Lord. We trust in our job as our provider over our Lord as our provider. And so we spend more time at work than we do with our Father. Sometimes I'll lean into like news and what's going on in the world and God's saying, get out of that and get your face in, in my news and in my story. I think we just need a wake-up call tonight. Paul wrote, I think it's in, I don't know where, uh, Paul wrote it. It's in the Bible. He says, awake! Awake, O oh sleeper! Wake up! 
Jesus wants to awake us tonight. He wants to awake something within us that says, I'm going to seek God. I'm going to seek Him above all else, before all else. Sean and I, Sean's got this joke where he says, is it beat me to the tomb? Race you to the tomb? What is it? Race? Beat? Anyways, he says something along the lines of, I got to beat him to the tomb. And it's a totally, like he's totally joking. It's sarcasm. But it's this competitive way of saying, I'm going to get to Jesus before you do. That's my roommate. Like we go to bed and he says, I'll see you in the morning. I'm going to beat you to the tomb. I'm going to beat you to Jesus. I, I think we need to live with this sort of mentality. Not competitive. What would you say, boy? Hey, nine days out of ten, I catch Sean sleeping. Awake. I'm kidding. He seeks God like nobody I've ever seen. And it's almost kind of weird. Can I tell a secret? Can I tell a secret about you? He, he talks to God so audibly in the shower that it's so weird. I came home one day, and he was showering, and I heard the shower first. And then I heard Sean having a full conversation. And I thought, who in the world is Sean talking to? God, please tell me there's nobody in there. It's true, huh? One time Tyler and Amber were over. My friends Tyler and Amber were at the apartment. We, we thought Sean was sleep talking. He's like, he's like, all right, guys, I'm going to bed. I'm like, okay, bro. Whatever you got to do, whatever you want to do. So he goes to bed, we think. And so we're up, we're talking, hanging out, having fun. And then we hear a voice coming out of his bedroom. And we're like, is this dude sleep talking? And so we, I don't even think you know this. We literally went up, didn't we? She knows it. We went up to the door of his bedroom and we were like, is he sleep talking? He was, he was having a conversation with the Lord. Beat me to the tomb, please. This is just, and it's not a competitive thing because I don't believe in that. It's, it's just a heart position that says, God, nothing in my life will beat me to the tomb. Nothing in my life. I won't allow fear or nerves or anxiety. I won't allow people. I don't want to meet with anybody before the Lord. And if I have a meeting at 6 a.m., in my calendar, I'm setting a meeting at 5 a.m. with the president of the world, with God Almighty. And I'm saying, this time is a meeting. I literally have to do this sometimes. Someone will say, hey, can I meet with you at 7? And I'll say, no, I have a meeting. I'm not meeting with a physical person, but I sure as heck am meeting with the God in heaven. Because it's that important to me. And until you're diligent about it, until you're persistent about it, until you're intentional about it, it will not happen. I've created a tent. And I said, inside of this, nothing can reach me. I don't bring my cell phone in there. No distractions. Guys, God is desperate for us. There's so much more for us. Look, God, there'll be a move of God in Castle Rock. I believe it wholeheartedly. I mean, I'm not just talking students. God wants to move in Castle Rock like he's never moved before. Adults, grandparents, kids, children, students, the whole thing. I mean, revival's coming to the students in Castle Rock. I mean, and you know what? The most proof we need is that there were more suicides in the last year than ever before. That's enough proof in and of itself. I mean, the enemy is attacking life of students in Castle Rock. And what's the very thing Jesus came to give? He came to give life and give it more abundantly. There is revival happening 
in Castle Rock. And as much as I wish it just looked like another good community service project, it doesn't. As much as I wish it looked like just another good outreach idea, it doesn't. As much as I wish it just looked like another good summer camp, it doesn't. Revival looks like a group of people that says, God, I will seek you above all else. God, collectively, individually but collectively, we will seek you. When God finds a church that will seek them with, seek him with all of their heart, we'll see a move of God. We'll see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's not based on works. God is looking to and fro for him who will seek him. So tonight, let's stand up to our feet. Let's close with one song of worship and let's allow the Holy Spirit to encounter us. Jesus, we love you. There's nothing more that we want than to seek you. You're glorious. You're beautiful. You're fascinating. And our cry all weekend was that you would move on earth as it is in heaven. In base camp as it is in heaven. That's our cry. That's our prayer. Come on, students. Let's lift up our hands. On earth as it is in heaven. In base camp as it is in heaven. In the rock church as it is in heaven. In castle rock as it is in heaven. And God, would you put a conviction on our heart that we will not move until we see you move. That we will seek you out with everything within us. Because we believe wholeheartedly that what you say is true. That you reward those who seek you diligently. Pour out your spirit in this moment. Come on, let's worship.